to Stan at Stan the Fan. Now sit back and enjoy the batter round. Guys, take it away. And a very pleasant good morning to each and every one of you on this Saturday, November 9th. And uh, the batter round guys are back again together. Craig Heist is sitting across from me. I am Stan the Fan, and together we will traipse through the next two hours. Okay. Did you like that? I died. Traipse through. I've traipsed few, a few things in my time. I bet you have. <laughs> I bet you have. Brett Blum is uh, running the show today. How okay. you feeling, Brett? Feeling pretty good. How about you? Good, good. You look terrific, by the way. You've Appreciate del- you've it. lost how much weight? It's about thirty pounds since the summer. Wow. What's what's the deal? What are you doing? I was a little bit. Parents, over- aren't, oh. parents aren't giving him money for <laughs> well for food. That, that always well. You know what happened was I was like two fifty at one point, <laughs> right? Yeah. And then I decided to have a seizure, right? And I went in the hospital for like six days, yeah. And you know after recovering everything in about three weeks, four weeks, when I was able to get back up and go to work, right? Uh, and this was back in 07. God, it's been that long. Uh, yeah, this was back in '07, and uh, I, I thought to myself, you know, who needs to go on diets? <laughs> you know, <laughs> a great way to How lose. How much did you lose? Oh, I wound up losing about forty pounds out of that. Yeah, yeah. So. You kept it off. Yeah, too. pretty much. All right. And Brett, you've lost thirty. How have about, you done it? I've been working out six times a week, and I've been eating a lot better than I was before. Good for <laughs> no, you. No good more fast you. food. Or anything. Looks good. Thank Looks you. good. Uh, also looking good. The uh, world champion Washington Nationals. How about that? What a ride! Since we last talked together, Craig, uh, on the show, uh, the team that you cover south of here, about forty-five miles. Uh, is the, are the world champions? Yeah, and uh, when you stop to think about a nineteen and thirty-one start on May the twenty-fourth, and everybody wanted to just get rid of Dave Martinez, and y- I you was know, one of and, them. and you were one of them. I I know, uh, but you know what? And I'd still like to get rid of them. And in, <laughs> no, just in, in talking to certain people within the organization, there was never any. There, there, really there was wasn't. never any talk about it within the organization from either Mike Rizzo or the learners or any. You know, they held, they stuck to their guns, and 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 here's the thing about it: when Dave Martin, when they fired Dusty Baker, right after another division title because he had won, and two, you were not in favor of that, and I was not in favor of that. Right. No, not Dusty not at too. all. And you know, the one thing that uh, you know we got from from Rizzo on the uh, warning track in Game Five of that series uh, was that you know. Dusty's gonna. We're gonna talk to Dusty about coming back. You know, we'll we'll offer him a contract, this and that. And then two days later, they've decided to can him. And then during the press conference, you know, it was the line that, well, we're here to win a World Series. We're not just here to get to the postseason and win the division and you know be one and done. We want to win a World Series. This is why we're making this change. Well, lo and behold, the first year out, you know, Dave Martinez doesn't get the team to the playoffs. Right. You know, and then all of a sudden, whoa! And a very disappointing, and a disappointing, season. And, a disappointing and then they season. get off the nineteen and thirty-one. Right, then they get off the nineteen thirty-one after finishing two games over five hundred the year before, right. and then all of a sudden it takes off. And uh, you know, it was an amazing run. And you know, the, to me, the biggest key and what they stuck to their guns with is they knew they had the starting pitching to do this. Y- you it know, was a matter of whether or not they were going to put together offense, which they did. Because they played 651 baseball the rest of the way. But throughout that postseason run, Stan, the amount of runs they scored with two outs 
and the amount of runs they scored from the seventh inning on in the entire postseason. Absolutely amazing. Well, you know, you, you point to the starting pitching, and the game plan w- worked to perfection except for one small thing. Right at the All-Star game, Max Scherzer, yeah. arguably their best pitcher, along with Steven Strasburg, the way the season evolved, he was not a lot of help for the next seven weeks or so. Well, no, but the last the last month, uh, the last half month of the season, you could see him getting back to being Strasburg. Correct, and but, but it took him. Sure, it, it, you would have thought when if I had said to you on July first, say, "Hey, you're only going to get Max Scherzer, the real Max Scherzer, back September fifteenth," mm-hmm. and if I had said to you, "Will they make the playoffs?" They had to depend on. Joe Ross and um, Eric Fetty. Eric Fetty. Right. They went a, five. And little, they went five and zero over that stretch. Right. That was incredible. Yeah. yeah. So that that's another thing that they were you, two unsung heroes. When you there. look back at it, you were thinking, you know, maybe this was their year. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And then and then with the amount of times they came from behind, I mean, let's face it. They, they go into these playoffs having never won a series in the postseason. Right. And the first thing and the first time, they're a wild card team. They're down 3-1 in the eighth inning. You know, and then, and then Soto comes up with the base hit to score two runs. And then the third run scores because the right fielder comes in and misplays the ball. It takes a little bit of a funny skid to his right. It gets by him. And then the, that allows the third run and the go-ahead run to score. Then it was a matter of closing it down. They closed it down. They went on to play the Dodgers. And again, you know, 5-0 and in elimination games throughout that postseason. Right. It was a, a heck of a run. Uh, and that just goes back to what I tell everybody, you know, no matter what show I go on. You got to be good, but you also have to have the, the luck with you. Uh, one of the things I think a lot of people in baseball feel good about is that after we've had sort of the analytics teams winning the World Series uh, the last few years, yeah, it was good to get back to a team that I don't think they shun analytics at all, no, but that puts a priority on the eyeball test. On the eyeball test, but not only that, Mike Rizzo puts a priority on starting pitching. Give him those horses that can get you six or seven innings and then turn it over to the bullpen. Now, granted, that wasn't a great formula at the beginning of the year, but some starters were not, you know, the starters were pitching well enough, but you, you didn't have much of a bullpen there. They squared that away with some acquisitions through the course of the year. In the middle of the summer, I'd say the bullpen got straightened out. It wasn't pitching great, but it was pitching adequately enough uh, to win them ball games. Uh, and then what they were able to do as they got toward the end of the season was use some of the starters out of the bullpen uh, in the postseason. You saw Strasburg come in for an inning. You saw Max come in for an inning or two. And then what Patrick Corbin did in the postseason, uh, other than one bad outing, yeah. uh, was fabulous. Uh, the Nationals are the 2019 world champions. Uh, the game begins now in earnest to start <laughs> oh, constructing yeah. the 2000. 2000- 20 world champions. Uh, We'll talk about that at various points along the way today. Here's our guest list, and we are broadcasting from the live casino hotel studios. And we also like to tell you early on the program that portions of today's program, the batter round, are presented by Mobile One. Mobile One full synthetic motor oil helps extend engine life. Visit your local Jiffy Lube service centers and ask for Mobile One. And again, we are broadcasting the live Casino Hotel Studios. Rich Dubroff, uh, managing partner of 
base, BaltimoreBaseball.com. He's the chief content provider for that site, does a terrific job, formerly wrote for us here at PressBox for a season and a half, and also uh, he was with Comcast for uh, a number of years mm-hmm. covering the Before that, Warriors. yeah. That's right. Mike Shallon ju- jumps in as a late favor. We were due to have the head coach of uh, Michigan, Eric Backage uh-huh. on the program. Eric had his uh, SID confirmed, and about 10 o'clock last night, I said, you know, let me just text him so he wakes up in the morning and is reminded what time we're going to uh, call him. And uh, about five minutes later, can't do it at that time. Yeah. Can do it uh, Saturday night or Sunday after 6 or something mm. like that. Yeah, we're I just said, not on the air not, at that time. I said, that's great, but we're not on the air that time, so we're going to reschedule with Mike Backage. Uh, he remembered fondly, uh, Craig, one time uh, I, I kind of fell in love with the guy uh, when he agreed to be a guest on the Inside Press Box TV show right? and had to drive through about a 14-inch snowstorm to come in, even even when I said to him, I said, Eric, we'll get through the show. You're going to be on for, I I felt I Five minutes, yeah. I said, you're going to be on like six minutes. And he goes, no, I got to do it. I got to build this program up and everything. Then he got there, and then when we finished, I said, you know, my wife and I have a guest room. I said, do you want to stay over at our place tonight? He said, no, going right back. And it was still... The 14 inches was probably 16 by then, and he reminded me of that. He goes, he goes, I got this I'm doing, and I got to make a speech. Then I got to fly back to Nashville to join the team. He goes, not much has changed since the snowstorm days. So uh, his team, though, uh, interestingly enough, was one game away from winning the uh, the uh, College Baseball World Series. Mm-hmm. And w- the reason I thought of him this week was he was very close to losing his pitching coach to the New York Yankees. Ah. But the New York Yankees went in a different direction, and he says he says the guy, and I frankly don't know even know his name, if he had been on, I would have spent the 9.30 half hour researching that. Yeah, absolutely. But he said the guy's a stud. Uh, but Mike Shallon was kind enough, a quick Facebook thing, can you come on? I had a guest uh, bail on me, and he said, sure. Uh, he says, as long as Heist isn't there. Well, I said, know, well, so Craig's there. And sorry about said, that. Should have made it the last two weeks there, Mike. <laughs> anyway, 11.05, I think one of our favorite play-by-play men, uh, Tom Hamilton, the yeah. radio voice of the Cleveland Indians, is going to join us. Reason, I, Look, I'd have Tom Hamilton on every week uh, that I could get him, but he has been named uh, one of the eight finalists for the Ford Frick Award. Right. Um, you to know, get, to we get into we the knock, Hall of Fame, broadcasters wing of the Hall of Fame. We knock a little bit this thing when kids play sports that they get a participation medal. What have we gotten into now where we just can't kind of come out and name who wins awards? You got to know the three finalists for, for the yeah. Cy Young, the Rookie of the Year. Then you get eight finalists all, for this it's, job. It's all for TV. It's all for what they do on the MLB network. So it's not just to make it's not just, these no. guys feel good. No. Okay. All right. But he is in with some pretty darn good company. Uh, and, again, none of them have been voted in yet. They, the announcement will be made December 11th. But Tom Hamilton. At the winter meetings. Yeah. At the winter meetings. Tom Hamilton of the Indians. Ken Harrelson, longtime voice of Chicago White Sox. 
Joe Castiglione, still uh, Boston Red Sox play-by-play voice. Pat Hughes with the Cubs. Mm-hmm. Ned Martin, a longtime voice along with Ken Coleman of the Boston Red Sox. Right. Mike Shannon, who's been in the in the broadcast booth for the Cardinals for God knows how long. I want to say about 50 years. Right. Uh, and Dwayne Statz, uh, who I didn't realize he was a uh, – Houston Astros broadcaster, and 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 he works with uh, he works with John Rooney too, right? Uh, yeah, who uh, Dwayne uh, Stats? No, no, no. Uh, uh, Mike Shannon, Ma- yeah, Mike Shannon, yeah. right in St. Louis. Dwayne Stats though got his first first break in the Astros booth when he was twenty four years old. He's done Yankee baseball and Cubs baseball, but he's been with the Tampa Bay Rays now on TV for twenty two years. Also up for election this year, and I find it interesting. I've never heard his name before uh, as one of the finals. Jacques Doucette, mm-hmm. uh, oh, uh, voice of the Montreal, Montreal Expo. Expo. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But it's yeah. just curious with talk about Montreal getting and, and some interest in expansion again. I'll tell you I'll tell you who we should have on to get a little bit of perspective on that is Bill Latson. <laughs> well, we have Latson on. Well, we will do that. Maybe yeah. we'll get uh, them on. Well, we can't really get them on together, but no, that right. would be fun. But uh, an interesting group of people. Do you think a that TV broadcasters should be in the same sort of wing as the radio guys? I think you have to kind of lump it together. Yeah. I really do. Because, I mean, if not, what are you, I mean, if not, what are you doing there? You right. know what I mean? Right. It, it, you're there 162 for the most part. Most people yeah. are, you know, whether it's radio or TV. Uh, and, and obviously it's a different medium. Uh, a lot of guys do both radio and TV for their ball clubs. So I, I don't have a problem with it being all, all yeah, I guess collectively. You, you, couldn't, you couldn't break that up. Right. Uh, interesting group of eight people and Tom Hamilton, uh, who is my, one of, uh, literally one of my favorite radio mm-hmm. play-by-play guys. Well, I'll tell you what. You know, he, he's right up there for me. But I'll tell you what. The two guys that are in Washington, uh, Charlie Slows and Dave Jagler, it's not going to be very long before – uh, certainly Charlie for his longevity that he since he's been there right. with the Rays and also now the Nationals. But uh, uh, Dave Jagler is just very, very good. Yeah, they're just both, as both solid as good. can be. Both very good. Uh, so we'll talk to Tom Hamilton about a whole host of things today at 11.05 and then 11.35, a friend of yours, and he's become a friend of the program, Mark Zuckerman mm-hmm. of Masson, will join us to talk about. Well, you know, and Mark would probably – uh, dispute the friend of mine, but you know. <laughs> oh, he would. Yeah, he might. Okay. All you right. know, Bill Latson is. A well, friend that of mine. that yeah, he's well, a friend of mine. Yeah, yeah, but he says I'll come on stand anytime that as Heist long as Heist, Heist isn't there. Yes, that's yeah. usually, so I take advantage of. That's that. usually the caveat there. <laughs> um, you're not covering it today, and I've, uh, <laughs> I'd slip my mind where the game was at. University of Maryland travels to Columbus. To play Ohio State for the annual ass whooping. But and, go ahead. And what did you tell me the point spread? Was? I, you know, Nick Nick Triantopoulos and I, and Nick, of course, one Nick of the working hard at the working cost hard at the late con- night. Yeah. Right, we were looking over the point <laughs> spreads last night, <laughs> and he says, "I can't remember ever." He says, "What about you?" And I said, "No." I said, "I can't remember." A forty-two point underdog today, uh, and probably to the worth every. Every point of you that. Would, you would think because yeah. of the way this season has gone for them uh, after is the Jackson back playing quarterback. Uh, yes. Okay. Well, yes. He will get his 
well, uh, uh, Ohio State lost their password. Their big pass rusher has been ruled ineligible. Right. Yeah. Or, uh, or while they're investigating it, what is he into? Uh, I don't know. Okay. I have no idea what okay. the uh, what the situation is with right. that. Well, I'll tell you what, we've got Rich Dubroff coming up in just a couple minutes. So you mentioned the Costas in. Let's get the Costas in uh, out of the like way to today. I don't like to say it that way. Oh, no, okay. Way, but let's get it out of the All way. All right, good enough. Costas in, 4100 North Point Boulevard in Dundalk. And, uh, What's so special about the Costas in? Well, there's certainly live entertainment throughout right. the week. That's one of the things. Best thing about it, though, right. is the food and the great specials on the menu. Crab Such cake. as? Crab cake night on Monday, ribs night on Tuesday, steak night on Wednesday with half-price bottles of wine for anything on the menu. That's the deal right there. Lobster night on Thursday, you can get it stuffed with that great crab imperial. And uh, I got a call yesterday uh, from Mr. Triantophilos who told me we may be able to... uh, uh, get some crabs on Sunday, which is kind of a uh, bye week of sorts because we lost the bye week during the World Series. <laughs> what bye week? A bye week in for football? Who? Yeah, where a group of us will get together and go over oh, and okay. watch football on right. TV. Okay, I got and, you. And and enjoy. Who's, the, who's in that group? Kurtzel is that Kurtzel? Uh, let's see, Dave Hughes. Right. Sometimes uh, it's uh, sometimes it could be Dave Ginsburg if his wife ever lets him out of the house. <laughs> lets him out. It's a it's a wonder she ever lets him back that's, in. Well, that's the thing. All right. But anyway, anyway, the cost is in. Great specials Monday through Thursday, and then Friday. And and when we say great specials Monday through Thursday, you know it each and every week. Crab cakes. Ribs, steak, prime lobster. rib on you know prime ribs on the menu over the, on the weekends and uh, pasta bar you can't go wrong with that. Uh, Forty one hundred North Point Boulevard. And don't forget live entertainment throughout the week. Jazz on uh, Wednesday night and also rock and roll Saturday Sunday. Uh, it's all there right there for you at the Costa Inn. All right, forty one hundred North Point Boulevard. And again, if you are planning to get crabs and you're not as friendly with Nick Triantafilos as Craig is. You need to call up and reserve some at 410-477-1975. We are in the live casino hotel studio, and joining us right now is our man Rich Dubroff. Well, he used to be our man, but he's uh, BaltimoreBaseball.com's man. Uh, Rich, thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you, thank you, Stan. And uh, hi, Craig. Haven't seen you in a while. Yeah, it's only it's only been about twelve hours. Yeah. <laughs> We, we both suffered oh, through the Wizards game last night. Oh, my night. goodness. Okay. All right. Uh, how did they manage to lose to the Cavaliers? No defense in the first half. Would you say that's accurate? Uh, you're right. You are, Craig. Mm. But um, I, I think the Cavaliers look like they have uh, a lot of good young players. Yeah. I was impressed with, uh, I, I was impressed with uh, Sexton and Garland. Well, you know, the and other they, thing they have is they've got John Beeline as the head coach. I forgot about that. Right, and they also, uh, Tristan Thompson's going to play a pretty big role, I think, for that team. So, yeah, I, I agree with you, Rich. Good, young, upcoming team. It'll be interesting to see what Beeline does with them. Uh, Rich, uh, in in the war, World Series ending, uh, the Orioles offseason began in earnest, and one of the I thought we'd sort of get it out of the way. Uh, Chris Davis, much maligned for what he's doing on the field, but he had a big announcement. He and his wife had a big announcement the other day. I know you were there, and there, this is significant: a uh, donation of more than three million dollars to the University of Maryland Children's uh, Hospital Wing. 
it sure it certainly was uh stan and uh you know he likes to do a lot of things privately yeah and uh you know he was nominee he was the orioles nominee for the roberto clemente award and there were about 10 charities listed that he had been uh active with and there were only two of them that I remember hearing about, mm-hmm. University of Maryland and, and Casey Cares. Right. And I asked him if he had originally wanted to make the donation private. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people, uh, a lot of noted people, don't want their names out there. Right. And uh, Maryland convinced him to make it public because they, because they thought it would, uh, they thought it would encourage other large donors to, uh, uh, you know, to join in. And make uh, you know, and, ma- and make large donations, and obviously a uh, a terrific uh, a-, a terrific donation for our great institution. No question about it. You know, uh, listen, but the contract is what it is, and the the stats are up there as to what. No, that's they, irrelevant. They, I mean, yeah, that's, that, irrelevant. that's he, irrelevant. But he this would have made he would have made the donate he would have made the donation if he was batting two sixty instead right. of you know. One seventy, and the point I wanted to make is that he was doing maybe not to this extent dollar wise, but he was making significant contributions back when he was a productive player as well, and before he signed his huge contract. Well, when he um, when he actually when he signed the contract, the the Davises decided, you know, to 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 give back buy a resident to buy a residence here. They don't live here full time, but uh, to do a lot and. Uh, and to get more involved in the community. And Jill Davis uh, was a pediatric nurse and is still very obviously yeah. extremely interested. I mean, she is the um, she she would be the genesis of the interest mm-hmm. uh, more than more than Chris even. Uh, and they had a daughter who uh, who benefited by the work of. Uh, you know, of, of the University of Maryland Children's Hospital. Yeah. So, it's just a very uh, positive story. Very positive yeah. story. We're talking Rich Duroff, BaltimoreBaseball.com. Rich, uh, when the baseball season ends in Baltimore, how do you make your site uh, still interesting for Oriole fans? Well, I, try, I, I write every, uh, I write every uh, Monday through Friday. Okay. Uh, and, you know, we have... You know, you review the year, you look at baseball trends, uh, and uh, look at what the Orioles are doing or not doing. And uh, fortunately, there have been, I think, some some things that uh, the readers have been very interested in, uh, you know, since the season ended. I mean, I did cover uh, the three World Series games in, in Washington, so I got a dose of... Uh, I, I I got a dose of watching baseball that was actually uh, competitive <laughs> and, and, and compelling. Well, now uh, I know one of the things you're going to do is is you know you've opened your your one of your columns or your site you know on the site uh, to questions and answers from the fans. That would be ni- yeah, it would be nice if some uh, some some fans actually uh, actually uh, ask some questions instead of putting like next to, uh, yeah, next right, to my right. Twitter right. We yeah. got to train. We got to train people here on this show to not only like the show, but push one other button to share the show. That's right. All right, that helps uh, build up the cum as well. So, give us an example of some of the things that people have been uh, interested in. Well, one of the things I, I had an interview with Jim Palmer. I know you talked to Jim. Yep. I guess it was in September, and people were very, very interested in uh, in how Jim's doing. 
uh, people are are very interested in what's going to happen with Jonathan VR with Jonathan VR, uh, and uh, you know, and then one of the stories that people are uh, were interested in was the end of FanFest, uh, something that I found uh, an unfortunate decision uh, by the Orioles, and something that hasn't been, uh, you know, they haven't announced a replacement for him, uh, and I think that that is uh, a very bad. I think that was a very bad decision on their part. Yeah, because you know, for as for as poor as the baseball has been over the last two years, the end of the the, the Buck Showalter era here and the beginning of the Mike Elias and and Brandon Hyde era here, the one thing that does get fans jacked up in the off season is heading over to the convention center. Now, back in the day, that used to be a two day event, and and the, recently they moved moved it to a one day event. Uh, but, uh, you know, Rich, the amount of people that show up there on a weekend for, for, you know, seeing the, seeing the players and also listening to, uh, the players in, in question and answer sessions and, and media sessions, uh, that's of a, a lot of interest to a lot of fans. Well, attendance, attendance has been down significantly. Uh, and the convention center, the convention center is not, can't be, uh, inexpensive to uh to rent right and it's not a gr- and it's not necessarily a fan-friendly environment all all that being said uh i i think that the team has to do a better job in promoting itself and making its plan and making its plans clearer and they never even made an announcement that a fan fest was uh was being discontinued and to not have anything concrete to replace it with, if they came up with with events, and I'm not an event, I'm not an event planner. I'm a writer, uh, but if they came up with events that were compelling for fans, and they were, uh, they had announced, well, we're replacing Fan Fest with X and Y. I think that would be fine, but uh, I think it, you know, Fan Fest is sort of a reward for people. You know, uh, the season ticket holders get free tickets right. to uh, to Fan Fest, and that's and. The fans, I think, are, are feeling in general that they haven't gotten any rewards for sort of suffering through, you know, this team. Uh, you know, they haven't gotten, you know, good baseball on the field. And, of course, yes, it's a painful rebuild. It's going to take a little, it's going to take longer. Uh, and you can look in the minor leagues and see uh, Adley Rutschman and a lot of the good young pitchers that have been in uh you know, in the Maryland affiliates over the past couple of years, and know that they're coming closer to the Orioles. But you know, I think fans need a reward, and having you know Fan Fest or a really good uh, events uh, promoting the team where they can feel closer to the players is uh, you know would be a positive. And I well, think that I, I the think Orioles haven't done a good job at that. I, I would agree on the second part that they haven't done a good job at announcing any type of. Rep- Placement, and I think they should have been much more proactive. But I think they were looking at, frankly, that that thing at its peak was they draw about twelve or thirteen thousand. I think more, they, they, much more, sixteen, eighteen. So yeah, yeah. Okay, I think last year they had eight, and yeah. I think this year with the prospect of people coming to get autographs from Hanser Alberto, Asher Wojciechowski, I think they were looking at a significantly further declining attendance in that event. And I think they just decided, you know what, because uh, I haven't been told that the event has been permanently uh, p- 
put away, but I think for the next couple of years, remember when they were drawing nice crowds, they had Adam Jones, Zach Britton, Manny Machado, exactly. Jonathan Scope. Yeah. Right now, there's exactly. not a lot of people that – and remember one other thing, Rich. When, when that event was originally started, it was supposed to be an event people could come and buy tickets for, for the season to start well, planning. Recall, yeah. As I recall – when they first started FanFest, it was right before the season opened. It was mm. it was later in the month of January, I think. So no, actually, no. It, no, I mean they had fans. They had fans. Oh. They had FanFest right before opening. Right, and I, I remember yeah. one. I remember one time it was held at the stadium too. Yeah. Well, those yeah. were yeah. Well, there's no question it was held at the stadium once or twice there. But but I think the 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 fact that there aren't a compelling group of players to go down and see, and again. I, I point to the fact, and I just think it's kind of ridiculous that the organization has not been more proactive at selling season tickets and game tickets. Uh, I mean, what is really going to change now, between now and February 1st, that they couldn't have that at least that opening series against the Yankees tickets on sale now for hol- for the holidays? Yeah, well, you know, I think in the, the whole tra- you know, and I know, and I know you're – you and Craig are very interested in the in you know in the business of baseball off the field as yeah. well as on the field. But you know, the, the way clubs are selling tickets now has has changed. You know, uh, and, and attendance is down around the game. Uh, you know, each year uh, over the <clears throat> over the last several, not only the Orioles but a lot of other teams have have suffered. You know, big declines, and teams are are. You know, doing what actually the Orioles did in September, or or offering you know grounds passes, mm-hmm. you know, for uh, similar games. People aren't buying season tickets and, and packages the way they you you know the right. way they used to, especially young you know especially younger people. And with the advent of the secondary market, uh, a lot of times people just wait yeah. until the closer to the event where they can scoop up tickets for individual games they're interested in at, you know, at good prices. So prices less than the box office. So I think that this is a, a permanent problem, yep. not only for the Orioles, but for other teams, how to be relevant to, to younger, uh, you know, to younger audiences as we go along. Let's move back to the playing field and in the dugout. Uh, must, a, must we? Yeah, yes, we must. Yes, yes we, we must, because yeah. we've only got you for a few more minutes. Uh, there are going to be a couple changes in this coaching staff. Um, your thoughts on, I saw Rock had something yesterday. You may have had the same note that apparently they were talking to, what's his name, Chris Malley? John, Ma- well, John, Malley. John Malley, John Malley, John Malley, and uh, Brandon Brandon Hyde Go were back. extremely yeah. close. You know, were close friends, and also Malley uh, Malley was in the Houston organization when Elias was in there. Right, uh, but that was uh, you know uh, the Orioles were bringing are bringing back Don Long. They don't have an assistant hitting coach. Right, uh, that's one of the openings, and they also have not hired uh, or have not decided who the uh, minor league hitting coordinator. Is going to be, but I think that the coaching, uh, the coaching positions that they have are not huge. Um, you know, are are not the the, the marquee ones. Well, um, but there the, there was the, the thought that possibly Brandon Hyde would bring in a a, a more tried and true bench coach. Wasn't there th- that thought? Uh, I, I've heard that. You know, 
I've heard that they didn't actually designate a quote-unquote bench coach last year, although Tim Cousins um, served in that was, sort of was served in that role. And it, it just seemed odd that, uh, as a first-time manager, that he didn't have you know an experienced manager like the Cubs uh, just hired Andy Green, who was yep. let go by the Padres to be the uh, to be the bench coach. But yes, they certainly could move people around. Right now, the openings are. Uh, First base coach in outfield, where Arnie Baylor was let go, uh, and uh, the uh, the hitting, you know, the assistant hit, the assistant hitting coach and the bullpen coach, uh, but they they could you know move a couple of people around a couple of people around, but they don't seem very close to making an announcement. Maybe closer to the winter meetings or afterwards. I'm I'm not sure uh, what's going on there. Well, you had mentioned Jonathan VR. First of all, what's your gut feeling, Rich, on what will happen with him? Uh, because, you know, and, I, and I've said this before, you know, I remember him uh, coming into D.C. with the Brewers and, you know, and I fell in love with him as a player then. And when I found out he was going to the Orioles, I was really excited about it. But what do you think, uh, you know, knowing what an arbitration number would be for him? Uh, but, but what do you think happens with him now? Well, I had, it's funny, Craig. I had guessed that the ARB number was going to be in the you know the the seven to eight million dollar range, and then Major League uh, Baseball trade rumors um, added up around eleven, added right? Up ten, okay. In the, 10, the ten range, which I thought was very very hot, was very high. But I think even for the Orioles, seven to eight million for a, a guy who's in his walk year would be uh, you know w- would not be something attractive to them. I think that over the next few weeks before we get to uh, December 2nd, which is when contracts have to be offered, that the Orioles will uh, will move him. And uh, I think fans will probably be disappointed by what they get in return. Mm. We're talking to Rich Dubroff. Yeah, I, because I, I don't think I, I don't think they, they want to be saddled, you know, with that big num- with that big number. And I don't know that any trade that they would make after December 2nd would be any better than one that they'd be able to make before December 2nd. Well, you know, depending on how long this rebuild takes to where they're competitive again, you almost hate to say, you know, when you're talking about a guy like VR, that it wouldn't be advantageous for the Orioles or they wouldn't want, you know, they wouldn't want to be stuck with that number for a guy like Jonathan VR because that gives the fans or puts it in the back of their minds, in my opinion, that, boy, even if we get good, they're not going to spend money. Well, I think... Uh, I think it's I a think separate that, issue, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't think VR is is viewed as, um, you know, a player that they would want to build around in any case. Right. Uh, I mean, it, it's not... You know, you can have the debate about Trey Mancini uh, rather than, you know, rather than VR. Yeah. Uh, as, somebody, uh, as somebody to build, uh, to build around. Uh, but yeah, I mean that that goes back to what I was saying earlier that the fans are are not seeing stuff that they feel like they're rewarded. I mean, they watched in 2018 they watched their favorite players get traded away, uh, or in Adam Jones in Adam Jones's case, walk away after the season. And uh, you know it's going to take a while for people to to identify with uh, players. They have some, you know, they have some interesting young players. I mean, Austin Hayes and Hunter Harvey sure showed well the end of the season. Uh, Anthony Santander. You know, if they can keep that going, 
in, in 2020 and, and have, you know, similar performances from those young players and, and have, have a couple of good ones from some of the other players, some of the pitchers that they're, that they're, they're going to add during the season, then, you know, maybe the fans will all feel a little, uh, a little more rewarded. But I think there's going to be a little more pain in 2020, though not as intense as in 2019. And I think that you can sort of separate in 2019. April, April and May were awful. But once it got to June and they drafted Rutschman and they added, you know, they started adding some of these younger players, uh, Santander and Chance Cisco, even though Cisco didn't, didn't show well, you know, things looked a little brighter. And I think that things will look a little brighter in 2020, though I think that there may be a few more trades than we saw in 2019. We're talking with Rich Dubroff of BaltimoreBaseball.com. Just a couple more minutes, Rich, before we let you go. Uh, you, you mentioned his name a couple times in the last couple of minutes, and that's Anthony Santander. Uh, what happened to him from, say, about August 25th to the end of the season? Because I, I like you, had sort of penciled him in my head as, well, this is a building piece of the future. Then I turned around like about September 20th, and I said, this guy's on base percentage now is under 300. Now, I'm, yeah, not saying, I'm not saying he was 360, but he was like 330, 335. He really, he really went, uh, you know, went under underneath for a while. You know, he'd never play this much. Yeah. I mean that's so you know, fit- you, know, he had a, you know the last two years the last the last two years he didn't play all that much right he had you know he had injuries and when you get when you're a minor leaguer and you get to the you know you get to September from September the season's first, over yep it's you get to September that's the champion in the major league the major leagues it's the championship distance yeah you know you've never you've never played that much and. It's like a racehorse in the Belmont who hasn't yeah. run a mile and a half before. Or That's even a good point. A guy that we, a guy that you mentioned earlier, Hanser Alberto. Yeah, you know he uh, he tailed off a bit in September. Yeah, he was so, stuck on twenty nine home runs for a long time. No, there. you're talking about Nunez. Oh, Nunez. Okay, Hanser Alberto. Alberto. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. and you know, uh, it's hard to play. It's hard to play those extra, you know, those extra twenty twenty five games. And so I think that's what ha- I think that's what happened with Santander. That he makes, wore, that makes he, wore sense. he wore down. Yeah, that makes some sense. All right, Rich, I really appreciate your coming on the show. Uh, I urge people to uh, get on there at BaltimoreBaseball.com every single day and take a look at what Rich is writing and like it and share it and ask questions as well. Rich Dubroff of BaltimoreBaseball.com. Have a great. Uh, rest of your off season, we'll we'll catch up with you before you get to spring training. All right, all right. All right. Well, Stan, it's less than uh, three months. Less I than know. Three months that's, away. You know, that's one of the things about a world. That's one of the things about exactly three months away. Yeah, that's one of the things about a World Series run. Once it's over with, and then I looked at the calendar, I went, "Holy moly, three months!" <laughs> well, they've got that great quote <laughs> down at spring training. It's unfortunate. It's covered up by everything. It's the Rogers Hornsby quote about what do you do during the offseason i look outside and wait until spring Ring right exactly like yeah all right rich we'll talk to you soon stay well my friend okay my pleasure thank you guys all right want to remind you that want to remind you that we are broadcasting in the live casino hotel studios i'm not hearing myself uh what's that 
You're on? I'm on? Okay. Uh, lots of great events are coming up in the Live Event Center at Live Casino Hotel during the rest of 2019, including Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Michael Bolton on Saturday, November 30th. Doors open at 8.30. Tickets start at just $45.50. Get your tickets now by going to livecasinohotel.com. want to remind you that Pressbox's Project Game Day is back and uh, you are able to react immediately during and after every Baltimore football game this season, including tomorrow, uh, the Bengals game in Cincinnati. Glenn Clark is with you at halftime with various guests joining him uh, the moment the game wraps up, including the NFL chick Sarita Hubbard, Pressbox Ken Zales, Eric Arditi from Barstool Sports. Pressbox Project Game Day is made possible by great partners Cost Sin. Wise Markets, Glen Burnie Transmission, Glory Days Grill, and the U.S. Army. Last week during the yes. Patriots game, yes. as the game was winding down, yes. we're within maybe three minutes. We're not quite to the two-minute warning yet. Right. I pop online, and there Glenn Clark is, ready to go. <laughs> he was ready. I'll bet he was ready to go. You see uh, the stream and everything, and I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute. Gotcha. You're not supposed to do this till the game is over. Well, he's there when the game is over, and you can like Pressbox on Facebook at facebook.com slash Sports and watch Project Game Day there every game day this season. i got to also mention that Baltimore's favorite bar is just 771 feet from home plate. Sliders Bar and Grill just steps from Camden Yards. It's a perfect sports bar for Ravens and Cap season with all the games on dozens of TVs. Daily specials include Mexican Monday, Wingding Wednesday, Bloody Brunch Sunday, and more with different drink specials every day of the week. Join Sliders for Ravens game for the Ravens game on November 10th. That's tomorrow, and be there for the annual Sliders Chili Cook-Off. Think your chili is the best? You can register for just $10 and enter to win the title. Sliders, for all of your sports and a chance to sample Baltimore's best chili recipes. For more info, visit slidersbaltimore.com. Baltimore's favorite bar is just 771 feet from home plate. Sliders Bar and Grill, just steps from Camden Yards, is the perfect sports bar for Ravens and Caps season. With all of the games on dozens of TVs, daily specials include Mexican Monday, Wingding Wednesday, Bloody Brunch Sunday, and more, with different drink specials every day of the week. Join Sliders for the Ravens game on November 10th and be there for the annual Sliders Chili Cook-Off. Think your chili is the best? You can register for $10 and enter to win the title. Sliders, for all of your sports and a chance to sample Baltimore's best chili recipes, go to slidersbaltimore.com. Royal Farms is known for being real fresh and real fast, but we're also real Baltimore. That's because Baltimore is our home base and our home. Like purple and black, flamingos and sunglasses, or crabs and Old Bay, our subs are real Baltimore, right down to the name. We make them fresh, delicious, and to your order, all day, every day, at a price that's easy to swallow. Royal Farms subs are another reason why Royal Farms is real fresh, real fast, real Baltimore. 
Want to know what's going on in high school football this season throughout the state of Maryland? Tune in to the Press Box High School Football Show with Booker Corrigan and legendary former McDonough coach Dom D'Amico. The guys will discuss everything happening at the private and public school levels, players and teams to watch, upcoming games, and so much more. Every Monday at 12.30 p.m., watch the show at facebook.com slash pressboxsports. Listen at pressboxonline.com slash radio for the Press Box High School Football Show. Check out Costa in at 4100 North Point Boulevard. They're known far and wide for their great steamed crabs and crab cakes. And their nightly specials also include crab cake night on Monday, rib night on Tuesday, steak night on Wednesdays with a half-price bottle of wine, and lobster night on Thursdays. Check out costazin.com to find out more. And the delicious crab cakes are shipped anywhere. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square offers a better way to tailgate with football and nuggets. You can now pick up a 30-count Chick-fil-A nugget in a football-shaped container and if it would be helpful, Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square can half-cook it, leaving you the opportunity to heat it the rest of the way just in time for your party. And now Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square offers their three-cheese mac and cheese. Cheddar, Parmesan, and Romano combine in this classic side, baked fresh in the restaurant. Download the Chick-fil-A app, place your order, and pile up Chick-fil-A bonus points good for free food. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard. Call Steve if you'd like your party catered by Chick-fil-A, 410 310031 Chick fil A, Nottingham Square. This is former Turf AJ Francis, just here to let you know that I am a huge wrestling fan. I know you are too. And there's a lot of stupid idiots out there that ruin the wrestling podcast experience for everyone else. Hey, Aaron Oster from the Baltimore Sun and Rolling Stone. I don't understand why people would ever cheer for Roman Reigns. He's awful. I'm sick of it. Boo! Boo, Roman Reigns! Never wrestled for Ring of Honor, never wrestled for PWG, never wrestled Uh, in Japan. He is no Kenny Omega. Too sweet me, bro. I hate both of you. And this is why I keep stupid idiots like you on my list. This is your boy Y2AJ here to save you. Find Jobbing Out, the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com on SoundCloud or iTunes. Alright, we are back on the Battle Round Stand the Fan. Craig Heist and uh, joining us now from uh, Boston, Massachusetts um, is the great Mike Shallon of the New Hampshire Union leader, also official scorer at an awful lot of Boston Red Sox games. Mike, thanks for coming on, and especially in such, on such short notice. Well, I kind of feel a little bit like Smokey Burgess. Come pinch it. <laughs> well, luckily you don't look like Smokey Burgess. And, and, and Manny Mota. I'm, I'm here to pinch it. All right. Well, we were, we were due to have on a very interesting guest who I – met when he was the baseball coach at the University of Maryland, Eric Backage, who took his team to within one game of the College World Series. But uh, his schedule uh, changed abruptly, and I thank you for coming on as Smokey Burgess. So instead of an interesting guest, you get me. Okay, let's go. No, you're always interesting. And Craig and I were just talking during the break. We've got Tom Hamilton coming on at 11.05 to talk a little bit about uh, his nomination for the Ford C. Frick Award. But the other thing that's really interesting this year is the group of players that are up for the modern-day era, and that that group includes Steve Garvey, Thurman Munson, Tommy John, Dale Murphy, Don Mattingly, Lou Whitaker, and Marvin Miller. And I'm also leaving one person out. I don't know who it is but I know I've got seven of the eight. Uh, interesting in there that Munson is a candidate now, 
and Marvin Miller is a candidate. Uh, your thoughts on that group? Well, Marvin's always a candidate, and um, as somebody as somebody pointed out the other day, the the committee that usually decides this stuff is usually it's usually owner owner oriented, and that's why Marvin keeps getting the door slammed in his face. Um, it's to me, it's a farce that that he's not in. Um, uh, you can make the argument pro or con that he's the most important person ever to to have anything to do with the game. And, you know, if you're going to put people like Bowie Kuhn and Bud Selig in, yep. you know, how do you not have Marvin Miller, the, the brilliant Marvin Miller, um, unfortunately not the late Marvin Miller, but he um, absolutely should be in there. Uh, by, the way, get in? No. <laughs> by the way, uh, the number eight person was Dwight Evans. Yeah. Somebody <laughs> I'm sure you <laughs> saw a fair amount of in Boston, yeah. right? Yeah. Yep. Uh, to well, me, one of the best well, defensive outfielders ever, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. It's an impressive list, certainly. And, and again, this goes back um, uh, a year ago to when Harold Baines um, made it and kind of, in my opinion, kind of opened the door um, for so many good players because you can make the argument that every one of these guys is a better baseball player than Harold Baines. Um, or at least as good as Hal Baines. Uh, this is this is this is quite a list. Did you mention Dave Parker? I did not mention Parker. So it's nine yeah. people. Wow. Okay, well, Dave think, Parker. I think yeah. it might be. I think it might be ten. I think we might be forgetting somebody else. All right. I will try um, and look that up as we're talking. But you could check. Uh, you could check. You could check the Google of the group. I could definitely <laughs> check the Google of that group. Who is most attractive to you if we if we go along with your supposition that Miller won't make it? Uh, of that group, who is most deserving? And I know you wrote a book once with Don Mattingly, didn't you? Yes. Okay. Yeah, did you mention Dale, did you mention Dale Murphy? I did mention. Yes, he yes, did. Yes, I did. Yeah. I mentioned. Right. Um, uh, who's the most impressive to me? To me, the the thought that Steve Garvey is not in already is ridiculous. Right. Um, uh, and I, I might even be guilty of this too. I may, I may not have voted for him. I don't, I don't remember now. But when you look at when you look at this guy's overall career, and and the the um, the number of winning teams that he played on, the the statistics, as they say on the back of the baseball card, the incredible postseason numbers. Um, he's a champion. He's an MVP. And one thing people forget is that he was part of an infield. If you remember Lopes, Russell, and Say, none of them could throw. And, right, right. and Garvey rescued them countless times from, from throwing errors because he was such a good first baseman. Um, I think he's been a little bit of a victim of, uh, of the, the off-field persona, you know, the, the goody two-shoes thing, if you will, and then for him to have a, a little bit of a... Um, uh, Scandal, if you will, you know Steve Garvey is not my padre. If you remember those bumper stickers, um, I can't believe that Garvey's not in. So to me, he's the guy most deserving on this list of very deserving people. What about Tommy John? I mean, to me, uh, you know, consistency, two hundred eighty-eight wins. Uh, longevity, obviously, one of the reasons for that number. But uh, here's a guy I don't think gets his due. 
Well, you know, with with TJ, uh, you know, he played on bad teams early in his career. Yeah, and and to think that there weren't twelve more wins in there somewhere, which would make it automatic for him to get three hundred. You know, was Tommy John as good a pitcher as Phil Negro and Don Sutton? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're in. So if you if you go by that standard, uh, you know the the argument against Tommy and I you know I covered him with the Yankees and I and the man was amazing. He he threw every day, you know. It was and and the thing about it was he was ready to pitch every day if he needed him to. Um, the thing about him is that people, some people say he's a compiler, you know, of numbers and and there are a lot of compilers in the Hall of Fame, you know. Again, Burt Blylevin is another guy that comes to mind. Tommy was as good as Burt Blylevin. Um, Don Sutton uh, comes to mind. Well, I said Sutton. And okay, Nico. those are my those are my two guys that I don't I didn't believe belonged in and got in simply because they won 300 games. Right. Um, but, you know, there, there there are people who who want the door slammed. Um, they don't want it to be the hall of the very good and all that kind of stuff. But to me, to me, the more the merrier. And Tommy is, um, Tommy is, is uh, the kind of guy. Jim Cott's another one that falls in that category with Tommy. Um I think I think Jim's. A, did you mention Cot? Cot's. I didn't see Cot mentioned this this time around. Oh, I thought he was on there too. But uh, and by the not. way, Blylevin won two hundred and eighty-seven games. Right. Okay. And, but people looked at Blylevin as more of a strikeout pitcher, and, right. and you give him credit. He and Eusena may be given credit for having the greatest curveballs of all time and all that stuff. But you know, all these guys are. You know, look how long, how long it took Jack Morris. You know, and and, and He's in that group too, so um, I think I think Tommy's an interesting case. I saw, uh, in fact, I saw something on Facebook the other day. I'm friends with both Tommy John and Jim Cott, and somebody was wishing Cott well, and Cott said, "Let's get Tommy John in this time." So mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're they're all part of a of that uh, crappy left-handed fraternity, I guess. Let me ask you a question. I, I noticed in the broadcaster when, when when we dispense of the pinch hitter today, uh, we're going to have Tom Hamilton on from Cleveland, play-by-play voice of the Indians. And I noticed that Ken Harrelson is up for the award, the Ford C. Frick Award. Why, why isn't Jim Cott ever put in that as a way to get him in the Hall of Fame? I mean, he's almost known more now – for his thirty-year broadcasting career, than yeah. his twenty-year, uh, you know, uh, playing career, and he's good at it. Too. And he's very um, good at it. Yeah, uh, that's a good question. It's it's kind of like, you know, for the people who support Gil Hodges as a player, why why did his managerial record get him over the top? Right. You know. Right. Um, you know, it, it's it's what the Hall of Fame is all about. You know, and and, and you know, I read a book. Uh, with my brother, uh, gosh, it's almost 20 years ago now, called Out by a Step, the 100 Best Players Not in the Baseball mm-hmm. Hall of Fame. And we had so much fun with that. that you know, and it, wasn't, it wasn't a campaign on the guys that should be in. Right. It was 100, 100 players who were out, and here's why. And the first thing we did was we eliminated Pete Rose and Joe Jackson because we know they'd be in if, if they could be. Right. Um, and we had um, we came up with this list, and a lot of these guys you're talking about here were, were on the list. And number one was Richie Allen, mm-hmm. and number two was Tony Oliva. Yeah, see, Oliva, absolute Ol- best players I ever saw in my life. Oliva and, is number one for me. You know, yeah, 
I mean, there was no, there was nothing that Tony couldn't do, and he did it on no legs. You know, his knees were shot. Um, but you know, that that's what the Hall of Fame is. The Hall, you know, nobody talks about who should be in the football Hall of Fame, right? And uh, who should nobody talks about who should be in the basketball or the hockey Hall of Fame, and who should, right? But when it comes, when you say Hall of Fame, it's Cooperstown, yeah, and and um, and it's it's the kind of thing that keeps you um, that keeps you talking. You know, uh, twelve months a year. Who shouldn't? Who shouldn't be there? Now, of course, we have the added problem of the the steroid era guys. You know what to do about them. And um, you know, I, there, there's, a, there's there's a lot of guys who should be there. No question about it. And then there are some that are there that shouldn't be there. But again, it is what it is, and and it's just so much fun to talk about. Um. In this day of analytics, I'm wondering if it's, and I may have even asked you this question. You remember the TV show a couple of years ago, Cold Case, with the very yeah. attractive uh, detective, and they went back and f- solved these cases that had been dead for a long time. I'm wondering yeah. in the case of analytics, with players like Munson, Mattingly, and Oliva, and there's probably dozens more, that you couldn't go back and say, like a cold case, what if Don Mattingly's back hadn't gone bad? Mm-hmm. What was he projected to do and sort of give a new glimpse at how great he was for the time period he was active? You don't like that, uh, You know, it's an interesting theory, and I certainly understand where you're coming from, but I just don't think you can you can make a determination of the Hall of Fame based on that, Mike. Well, but the thing is, you know, when I did the chapter on Mattingly in that book, he and Kirby Puckett had very similar careers. And if you match up their numbers, uh, Kirby Kirby was effective a little bit longer, but their numbers are very similar. Now, Kirby does have two world championships, and Mattingly only got to play in the postseason that one, you know, his final year. Right. Um, another guy who's not on this list, who was every bit as good as Mattingly, was Hernandez, Keith Hernandez. No mm-hmm. question about it in my mind. Keith Hernandez is the best guy I ever saw with the glove at first base. And and he did things that were magical um, with the glove. And you look up the the, the record of the um, the, MD, the co-MVP in 79 and the what he did for two teams, winning two, champ- two championships with two teams. Um, Keith was a great player. There's no question about it. But as far as the short thing, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I don't agree with that. I really don't. To me, great is great. And, and uh, numbers, you know, again, um, Willie Stargell is in the Hall of Fame, deservedly so. Right. But never for one day in his life was he a better baseball player than Dave Parker. Right. Dave Parker was a better baseball player than Willie Stargell, in my opinion. And and um, Parker was a guy who who also was 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 high on our list. And and um, you know, Sammy Koufax only had a six year run. When you look at his numbers, see that that's the reason I think. I, and don't get me wrong, I think Koufax belongs there. But his overall body of work, longevity wise, doesn't match up as a Hall of Famer. He was so good in the six seven years that he was good. And with Mattingly and Oliva, at least, those two, and probably Munson, I think there's three guys that really belong in based on sort of what kind of players they were. 
Well, if you, you know, you look at, uh, again, going back to our book, Gidry's numbers during his spurt, during his greatness, were similar to Sandy's. And uh, Sandy's the best pitcher I ever saw. Now, I was only a little kid then, but, yep. um, uh, I, I, you know, what he, the things he did, you know, pitching game seven on two days rest and unable to throw a curveball because of the pain in his elbow, throwing all fastballs and shutting out the Twins, was pretty which was a pretty good hitting team at the time. Um, you know, Sandy did some special stuff. Uh, Munson, uh, his, his, his leadership qualities um, were, you know, off the charts. And he did, he was at the center of bringing the Yankees back. And I remember, I remember when Sherman died, and I believe it was uh, Bill Madden who was on the committee that, that, built this list. Right. Uh, Bill Madden and I think Murray Chass, two two New York writers were, were leading a, a, a crusade to get him wait, to get the five years waived. Right. He died like like Clemente. Like Halliday, then, right? Like Halliday didn't end up waiting five years. Right. right. And, and there and there was and there was um uh, one time where both of them turned in at one point when Thurman was on the ballot, they turned in blank ballots. Uh, you know, they turned in, they voted for nobody. Right. So they didn't vote for him when he was on the ballot one time. Mm-hmm. So, um, Thurman was, you know, again, if you go back to the 70s, it was it was the Munson-Fisk battle. Mm-hmm. No question sure. about that. They were the two best. Uh, with the Yan- Yankees and the Red Sox, including, you know, many physical confrontations between the two teams. Um, I thought that Thurman was every bit as good as, as Carlton was back then. Uh, again, he he was deprived. He had, he had already started to um, wear down, if you will, uh, by by seventy nine, and the the rigors of being a catcher were getting were clearly getting to his body, beating up his body. But uh, man, he was a great leader, and 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 granted, they didn't win until Reggie got there. There's no question about that. The whole you know straw that served the drink and all that stuff. But they didn't go get over the top. But he did get them to the world, you know. The team got to the World Series in '75 uh, before um, before Reggie got there. So, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I could I could certainly see the case for Munson. Now, again, he was a guy that didn't win any favor with the media. You know, obviously he he was not um, it was not congenial, if you will. Um, <laughs> but uh, he wasn't yeah, politically he was correct, right? <laughs> Hey, Mike, we really greatly appreciate your coming on. Uh, and I got uh, through a whole interview without asking about Chaim Bloom. All right? We'll save that for next time. Any Anytime. And uh, here's, here's the key to the car, buddy. Now go trade Mookie Betts. All right. Yeah, here's the key to the club. Trade Mookie Betts. All right, thank you very much, Mike. Really appreciate all right, it. All right. Hey, Ken Zalis is back and fulfilling all of your fantasies. Well, your football fantasies anyway. The Press Box Fantasy Football Show every Thursday, 1130. I can't hear myself. I can't. There, now I can hear myself. All right. Well, your football fantasies anyway. The Press Box Fantasy Football Show every Thursday, 1130 a.m. KZ helps you set your lineup for all of your fantasy matchups. Watch at PressBox.com slash Sports. Listen at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. It's all brought to you by Wise Markets and Glory Days Grills. Join us for the PressBox Fantasy Football Show every Thursday morning at 1130 
a.m. Maybe you should get Ken to help you out with a baseball fantasy, uh, you know, like your draft and things of that. I've worked <laughs> with him. It, it doesn't help me. Really? Because I'm cursed. <laughs> okay. I'm just simply cursed. All right, good enough. All right. I just thought. We'll, I'm trying to help. That's we'll, all. We'll mention also that the, the bat around is presented by Mo. You are a big help. <laughs> I really am. It's presented by Mobile One. Mobile One, full synthetic motor oil, helps extend engine life. Visit your local Jiffy Lube service center and ask for Mobile One. Uh, Craig, the Costas Inn, let's talk about that. Well, you know, if you want the best place in Baltimore for crabs, steam crabs, it is uh, the Costas Inn at 4100 North Point Boulevard. Not just the best crabs in town, but also the fabulous crab cakes that you can get shipped all over the country. All you got to do is call Pete Triantophilos uh, and that uh, fabulous crew over at the Costas Inn, and they will take care of it, and uh, they will set you up right Great specials on the menu throughout the week. Uh, crab cake night on Monday. Tuesday is rib night. Wednesday is steak night with half-price bottles of wine uh, on anything on the menu. Uh, you can get high half-price bottles of wine. Also on Thursday, it's lobster night. You can get that stuffed or plain. Uh, great specials all throughout the weekend as well. Prime rib, one of my favorites. The pasta bar is very good, and you can get that several different ways. Uh, the Costa Sin, 4100 North Point Boulevard in Dundalk. And, you know, we've, we've brought it up over the last month or so. I think one of the real reasons to go to the Costa Sin, seriously, in addition to the great food, the great uh, service, uh, the crabs, the crab cakes, is to just sit around and, and watch Nick Triantophilos. Yeah. You know, almost like a detective. Kind of like sit a, there and go, what does he do well he's the head crustaceanologist okay. and you know yeah. he's responsible for yeah. bringing in all of those fabulous steamed crabs all of those crustaceans right all right well the costas in it's one of our favorite places and uh, the brains of the outfit we know we know <laughs> it'll be one of your favorite places and speaking of favorites right now we are joined by i think it's fair to say one of our favorite play-by-play voices no question in, about it in the grand old and game I, and i baseball. worked with a guy at uh, wtop who's the head engineer down there brian oliger yeah who is a cleveland native okay and my uh, parents still live there uh and uh he loves tom hamilton and uh we get a chance to hear play-by-play clips here in town you yep, know sure uh, throughout the course of the year, and he's certainly one of my favorites. All right. Well, he joins us right now from his home in Cleveland, Ohio. Tom Hamilton, how are you, Tom? Well, good morning, Stan and Craig, and thank you, and I, I appreciate the kind words. Thank you very much. Good to be with you. Hey, i got to be honest with you. I called you kind of out of the clear blue because I heard a, I heard you on with Chris, Christopher Russo the other day and this great honor that you've been nominated as one of the eight finalists, but it had gotten past me that you worked with the great Herb Score, um, and, and Chris asked you the, the, the cogent questions, kind of what did you learn most about doing play-by-play from Herb Score? Yeah, you know, um, I, I was really fortunate. Um, you're always lucky, I feel, to get these jobs because there's so many guys out there that uh, you know are very capable and, maybe haven't caught the break and are in the minor leagues yet. And I was one of the lucky ones, but I thought that uh, it was really enhanced by getting to work with Herb. I didn't know it at the time, but I certainly did after a short period of time because he was iconic here in the city of Cleveland. And if he took you under his wing and accepted you, 
that automatically gave you acceptance with the audience. And, and that's huge yeah. in what is such a, a subjective business. So uh, the best thing, though, that he taught me, and when I started in 90, the Indians weren't very good. In fact, um, first uh, four seasons that I did the Indians with Herb, uh, the club you know, didn't have a winning record. In fact, uh, one of those seasons, 91, set the club record and franchise record for most losses in a season, but Herb was always uh, adamant that each game was really its own standalone uh, type uh, ball game in that you don't get caught up in what the record is of the ball club or how it is playing going into that game, but that, you know, you've got people that, for them, the highlight of the day may be that upcoming baseball game, no matter what the team's record is, and you, you cannot let your performance be impacted by how the club is playing. And it's, you know, sounds pretty simplistic, but I think especially when you're young, uh, you can kind of ride that roller coaster of emotions of the wins and losses. And that, that was great advice from Herb in that when the game started, both ball clubs were zero and zero and you approached the game that way and you broadcast that game that way. And, and tried not to get frustrated or whatnot based on how the club was playing. What have you learned throughout your career in terms of evaluating yourself? In other words, uh, you, you know, from the time you started to now, uh, is is what what do you try to do to even? Because we all can get better, no matter what part of our mm-hmm. career we're in. I can't. <laughs> but uh, uh yeah you know is there is there something you try to do each and every time out you know or are you how conscious of a conscious of you are that yeah I, I am craig i think it's a good question and i think that anytime you get away from that or feel like you have all the answers or you have no need to improve that you've reached perfection well then it's time to retire right uh, because you'll be amazed how quickly the audience disagrees with you. And so <laughs> I just don't think you can ever get complacent in this business. I think you get more comfortable, you get more confident the more years you're in it. But, you know, the beauty now of satellite radio is that for me, you know, when I'm driving home, I'm listening to other broadcasters. Or if I'm driving to the ballpark, and, you know, there's a weekend day game and we have a night game or whatever. I'm listening to other guys around the major leagues because I feel like you can always pick up some things that other guys might be doing that you incorporate maybe into your own style or um, you maybe like the way they make a call. You're not looking to uh, necessarily copy their call or anything of that nature, but I think you can always tweak things and, and um, I, I just think you better be cognizant of the fact that you can get better and you better be conscious of that or you'll find yourself on the outside looking in pretty quickly. Tommy, how much do you get a chance to listen to Charlie Slows and Dave Jagler from the Washington Nationals? You know, not as much. Um, you know what happens to guys is a lot of times you end up listening more to guys that aren't in your time zone. Right. Um just because of the nature of the beast, you, you might be able to hear them if they were doing a West Coast game, except that you don't get the visiting broadcast. That's why, for me, it was so much fun in the playoffs to hear guys, uh, because in the playoffs, you get both options on satellite. You get both, you know, 
both teams' broadcasts, while during the regular season you only get the, the home team's uh, broadcast. So, but, you know, Charlie's obviously been doing it a long time. You get to hear some of his calls, you know, on the various uh, sports highlight shows or whatever website you might be reading that day. And, yeah, I think he and David do a great job. And, and uh, you know, it was fun to see those guys at the end of the year. You know, and I'm not trying to <laughs> toot my own horn because the one thing I know is I don't know anything about the game when you think you know who's going to win. But we played them the last weekend of the year. Yeah. And I would say to both Charlie and to Dave and to Bob Carpenter and, and uh, their other broadcasters, how in the world are you guys sitting here with 90 wins? I, I just, I was blown away by their talent level. I thought that of all the teams we had played this year, only Houston had comparable talent to Washington. It was just that's mind-boggling a great point, to think point. they yeah. were 19 and 31. But uh, and that's how now, they wound up with 93 wins. <laughs> yeah, you know, and same number of wins that we had in the regular right. season. And I, I didn't think when you put their lineups had to have Hector Bench had guys that would have been starting in our lineup. So, but it is. I think Charlie and David do a great job and. I think all the guys, I think that's the beauty of our game, guys, is that you can listen to every broadcaster that's in a major league market and realize there's no one right way to do it and that everybody has their own unique style, and and that's what makes this so much fun. We're talking with Tom Hamilton, uh, the Cleveland Indians' very fine play-by-play voice. He's been nominated among eight broadcasters uh, to win this year's Ford C. Frick Award, which will be announced on December 11th. Uh, Tom, let's let's get from the broadcast booth out onto the playing field. You've been around a couple different managers there. Uh, I guess you had Hargrove for a while. You you saw Eric Wedge at his best. Couple other Charlie people, Manuel. Charlie Manuel, uh, Manny Acta. Uh, but how good is Terry Francona, and what separates him from so many others to make him a difference maker? Yeah, you know, Stan, I I have been lucky because um, all of those managers I thought were really good, and all of them were successful, uh, with the exception of Manny Acta here in Cleveland. And Manny was just here at a time where the Indians didn't have much talent. Yeah. And, you know, we were in kind of a full rebuild. But um, to me, Terry Francona is the best manager that I have seen. Now, granted, I've only been in the major leagues 30 years. So in reality, that's only 30 a small years. Window. Yeah. Well, but I mean, you I know, know. You think of the game itself. And, but in those 30 years, um, you've been exposed to a lot of great managers. Uh, be it Whitey Herzog, you know, Tony La Russa, Joe Torrey, Jim Leland, you know, now you're going to start leaving guys out. Uh, but, I mean, in my 30 years, there have been some of the game's elite managers that are in baseball's Hall of Fame. And I don't think any of them is better than Terry Francona. I, I think he's as good a manager as the game has ever seen. His ability to manage a game and make moves in a game based on how the game is going. Everybody has a game plan, and I think sometimes you see guys have a formula on how they're going to manage, and no matter what happens in that game, that's what they do. And Terry Francona has a plan going into a game, but he's not afraid to change on the fly because at the end of the day, he's not worried about getting second-guessed. 
He'll take the criticism if it doesn't work out. But you know he's not afraid to make moves to try to win games. He doesn't manage defensively. Mm-hmm. And his other greatest asset in my mind, beyond anyone I've been around, is his communication skills. The, the players never wonder what is going on. You know, they know the day before uh, they come to the ballpark, if they're a bench player, they know the night before that, hey, you know, tomorrow you're in the lineup. Or the night before, he'll tell a regular, hey, when you get up tomorrow morning, you know that you have the day off. I want you mentally able to take a day off as well as physically. And so he does all those little things. He nips things in the bud. And while, you know, we always hear the term players, manager, you know, believe me, guys know when they screw up, uh, they're going to hear about it. And I think the greatest compliment you can give him is players do not want to disappoint Terry Francona. And so that that means you've got the players from the get-go. And he's managed a lot of talented but a lot of big ego players. And he's proven he can win in the big market. And he's proven that he can win in the city in a market like Cleveland where you have revenue constraints and where you have payroll constraints. And so his ability to communicate make everybody feel important. A little example. When we won the pennant in 2016, in 2017, in that month of April, he made sure that there were, I think, three or four days during a homestand that everybody that worked at that ballpark, and I'm talking about cleaning people, I'm talking about maintenance people, they all got to get a picture with Tito and the American League Championship trophy. And it was like, you know, it's just a a gesture like that to make everybody in the organization, whether you're the guy that is sweeping the floors or whether you're the guy that is trading for players, everybody felt like they made an impact and were a part of that championship team. You know, that's the ultimate respect. I think, Tom, is exactly what you described about uh, Francona because I saw that a lot with Dusty Baker when he managed the Nationals, and while there were two division titles there, I don't think there was a player on that team that wouldn't run through a wall for Dusty. I think Dusty Baker is one of the most underrated managers the game has ever seen. All he does is win. Everywhere he's gone, he has won. And he's he's one of those guys that, you know, you'll hear a lot of people say, man, he was one of my favorite managers to go and talk to. Um, the Dusty Bakers, the Ron Garden hires, there's a lot of them. Um, but, yeah, to me, Dusty Baker should still be managing a major league team. Gardy's so great, and he is just in such a tough situation in Detroit. Oh, God, yeah, that's a terrible situation. Yeah, yeah, I'm afraid they're not going to win for a while. Yeah. And the flip side of a Terry Francona, who was fortunate enough to get that second opportunity in Boston after he flamed out in a couple of years as a young manager in Philadelphia, you, you've gotten to be up close and personal with Mickey Calloway for a number of years. And one of the things that ends up sort of deciding what your future is is that first job you take. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there aren't a lot of opportunities. So he took the yep. Mets job, and it's sort of, in a way, predictable possibly what happened to him there would have been vastly different if he was the Tampa Bay Rays manager or the Kansas City Royals. Uh, your thoughts on Mickey Calloway and whether he might get another chance and just how good a pitching coach he was. 
Yeah, I, I think his resume speaks for itself. He was tremendous here. I know Terry said that when he got the job with the Mets that um, he said that this guy will be a star, that he was ready to be a manager. And, you know, you don't hear that about a lot of pitching coaches, yeah. guys. Um, you know, it, it's very seldom that a pitching coach becomes a major league manager. And I agree with you. I think he had a couple of things that were going against him, and one was, you you know, you were in that New York market, and then the guy that hired you was no longer calling the shots. Yep. And that's never a good thing. Never. Good. And I think the other thing that maybe hurt Mickey and why I think he'll be even way better the next time he gets a job, he never managed at any level. Yeah. You know, Tito had managed in the minor leagues for a long time. I mean, you talk about getting prepared for a big market. How about when you're managing Michael Jordan and, you know, all that went on with that circus when they were in Birmingham after Michael Jordan retires from the NBA to play baseball? I mean, that doesn't happen to anybody in the minor leagues. And you think of the experience that gave Tito, you know, on how to handle big-time stars and, and all the publicity that surrounded Michael Jordan that summer of baseball. So I think it's really tough, and I know a lot of guys have been successful, but I think it's hard that first time you're a manager, and the first time you're a manager is in the big leagues, not at the minor league level. I mean, it'd be like going from high school to a major league pitching mound. You you think you're ready, but I think there's a lot you learn, and I, I think Mickey will get another chance, and I think he'll do very well at no, quite honestly, guys, I don't know how badly he did in New York. That's right, 186, 186 games last year. Yeah, yeah you yeah. know, with all the injuries that they were having. And, and it wasn't it, didn't it seem like it was the Mickey Calloway watch every day? Yeah. You yeah. Know, while he's going to be fired here in the next couple. That's a hard way for a club to play and for a guy to manage, and yet it didn't seem to distract the New York Mets. I, I think there are other people in that organization that, that need to look in the mirror. You know, it's funny what you say about how the game works, and here's a guy in Dave Martinez who wins the World Series this year with the Nationals, but after Dusty Baker won two division titles, they determine after a couple of days at the end of that season when they lose in the playoffs that Dusty's not the guy for the job. And at Dave Martinez's press conference, you know, the first thing out of their mouths is, you know, we don't think getting to the playoffs is just good enough. We have to win a World Series, and this is the guy to do it. Well, in his first year, they finished two games over 500, and everybody's going, oh, boy, what do we do? And then after a 19-31 start to this year, uh, everybody's clamoring for, for Davey's head, and then all of a sudden, 651 baseball the rest of the way, and they run the table. So that in itself just tells you how crazy this game is. Yeah, I, I think we're seeing that more and more, that um, – you know, and I think it's kind of a byproduct of the society that we live in. I mean, shoot, you go to McDonald's and you're going through a drive through and if you wait two minutes for your meal, you're, <laughs> you know, pounding the steering wheel. What the hell is going on? Well, they're giving, fast food so a, they're giving fast food a bad name at that point. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it's the same way with a, a manager. I, I, uh, I know it's a different sport, uh, but I love now we're halfway through the NFL season. And, you know, they're already determining what coaches should be one and done. Right. You're eight games into your first year as an NFL coach, and people are ready to make a determination on whether or not you should get a second year. And I just think if you look, guys, at the successful organizations, they're the organizations that show patience. 
that realize you're going to have to ride through some choppy waters and that every time you think the boat is going to capsize, if you jump overboard all the time, uh, you're never going to get to shore. And I just I think we see this time and time again with organizations and you know, we have a five year plan and they're two years into the five year plan, everybody gets impatient, they change the plan and it's why they continue to lose time and time again. I mean, look look at what Oakland has done under Bob Melvin and you know, this this is another guy that's quietly one of the best managers in the game of baseball. And Oakland has gone through some tough years with Bob Melvin, and yet you never see them, you know, blame Bob Melvin for it. And the end result has been, you know, he's he's proving, and they are every year now a playoff contender. So, you know, I, I give Mike Russo a lot of credit because I think the easy thing would have been to make a big splashy move in May when Washington looked like their season was over before you got to Memorial Day and. And he showed that kind of patience and belief from the ball club. And I know when we played them at the end of the year, Jan Gomes, who of course had caught for us, said it was one of the most fun teams that he had ever been a part of. And he said it was very comparable to the Indians club that he played with in 2016 that lost to the Cubs in the World Series as far as how those two teams got along and the chemistry that those two teams had. And, you know, I think there's something to that. And the fact that they stuck with Dave Martinez and didn't unload a bunch of players, you know, the end result is, is what you had here in October. You're listening to The Bat Around. We're broadcasting from the Live Casino Hotel Studios, and our guest is Tom Hamilton. Tom, i got one last question for you before we let you go, and we really appreciate your time. Uh, you worked with Herb Score for a number of years. I'm going back to Herb Score. You probably are of an age you never saw her pitch, but I'm wondering if when you started broadcasting, you'd bump into scouts and former players <laughs> that would tell you just what that guy was like. Because I remember as a three- or four-year-old watching, this was after McDougal had hit him in the eye, about mm-hmm. three months later he came back, and I watched him at Griffith Stadium warm up in the bullpen which was it was after a rain delay and my brother and I had never heard a glove crack like that when when it was hit hit with a fastball from Herb score you know it's funny you bring that up Stan because um you know Tony Kubek who you know is still one of the greatest he's great I think yeah players to become broadcasters um that we've ever had in the history of that Uh, like Tony, a native of Wisconsin, and so uh, kind of on my journey, um, trying to move up the ladder, so to speak, I worked in Appleton, Wisconsin for five years and did Class A baseball up there as well as a lot of high school sports, and that's where Tony uh, lived and still Mm -hmm. does live is in the Appleton area, and so I got a chance to to know Tony because of that, because they'd be doing high school games his kids were involved in, and and then when I was lucky enough to get the Indians job, he was still doing Yankee baseball with Dwayne Stats on uh, MSG out of New York. Wow. And we got talking about Herb one time when Herb wasn't there because Herb never wanted to talk about himself. Tony had faced both Herb Score and Sandy Koufax. Mm-hmm. And 
Tony was saying for him, Herb was a tougher at bat than Sandy Koufax because he said, I just had such a hard time picking up the ball plus like Sandy. I mean, in a lot of ways, Sandy Koufax and Herb Score had same kind of stuff. Yes. I mean, you, you were talking about who knows how hard they were throwing back then, but they were probably easily both throwing mid to upper 90s. Both had great curve balls. Both were left-handed. Both were wild enough to make it a very uncomfortable <laughs> at-bat. So when a Tony Kubek tells you that Herb score was a tougher at-bat for him wow. than Sandy Koufax, That's that sad. might be the ultimate compliment you could ever give somebody. Great great answer to a question that I've been meaning to ask you. Hey, really appreciate it. We wish you luck. I think just being nominated is uh, an honor uh, of I itself, agree. and you got a great group of broadcasters, so the Hall of Fame is going to get a good one. Uh, but one day, I know you're going to go in there. Tom, thank well, you. Well, very kind of you, Stan and Craig, and thank you so much. I really enjoyed it, and uh, don't be afraid to call anytime. I won't. Thank you very much, Tom. <laughs> hey, can I borrow some money from you? Yeah, can no, I borrow- yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Tom. Hey, Tom. Kids and college education. All right. Thanks a million, Tom. <laughs> Thanks, guys. All right. Yeah, I no, want to tell you no, about that. Wasn't thanks a million. Right. That was thanks. <laughs> it wasn't even thanks twenty five thousand. Right. Hey, uh, interesting event coming up, and it's coming up this Tuesday night, the twelfth. Uh, there's still time to buy tickets. The Cystic Fibrosis Foundation has teamed up with Pathfinders for Autism, and they've got quite an event at the Art Mode Art and uh, the Model Lyric Stage in Baltimore. Uh, this coming Tuesday night, uh, doors to the event. I'm going to tell you what the event is in just a second. Doors to the event open at 7 o'clock for public ticket holders with Lewis Black's 75-minute performance starting at 8 o'clock. General admission tickets vary in pricing based on seat locations from $75 to $250. But here's the real kicker to this event. Lewis Black has waived his talent fee for this event so that uh, the two organizations that are teaming up here, Cystic Fibrosis Foundation and Pathfinders for Autism, that's the, the Surhoff, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Polly and uh, B.J. Surhoff's uh, uh, ch- uh, charity, are going to both make a nice check. CFF is getting 60% of the proceeds. Pathfinders for Autism get 40%. That's this Tuesday night. You can go to Ticketmaster.com or call 800-982-2787. And I think this is going to be a terrific event this Tuesday night. All right, now, got to tell you one more time. We've done both Costas in. Yes, we have. So I've got to tell you about About? the fact that this show is brought to you by Mobile One. Mobile One Full Synthetic Motor Oil helps extend engine life. Visit your local Jiffy Lube service center and ask for Mobile One. And I want to remind folks that lots of great events are coming up in the Live Event Center at Live Casino Hotel during the rest of 2019. We'll update this in a couple days, but we've been focused on one really great event right after Thanksgiving. Saturday night, singer-songwriter Michael Bolton will perform at the Live Casino Hotel Event Center. That's November 30th. The doors open at 8.30 p.m., Tickets start at $45.50, and uh, trust me, you're going to like this event uh, as well. 
uh, Michael Bolton coming up on November 30th. Latest edition of Press Box is available now. It's our annual college basketball preview issue on the cover. Brooks DeBose looks at the Mount St. Joe duo of Jalen Stick-Smith and Daryl Morcell. As two kids from Baltimore look to lead Maryland back to prominence this season, you'll also find full previews for men's and women's hoops in the area, including Towson, UMBC, Loyola, Morgan, Coppin, and more. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Check out Costa's Inn at 4100 North Point Boulevard. They're known far and wide for their great steamed crabs and crab cakes. And their nightly specials also include crab cake night on Monday, rib night on Tuesday, steak night on Wednesdays with a half-price bottle of wine, and lobster night on Thursdays. Check out CostasIn.com to find out more. And the delicious crab cakes are shipped anywhere. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com slash bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. KZ, Ken's Alice here. I'm back, and I am fulfilling all of your fantasies. Well, your fantasy football fantasies, anyway. I'm with you for the Pressbox Fantasy Football Show every Thursday at 11.30 a.m. to help you set your lineups for all your fantasy matchups. Watch at Facebook.com slash Sports. Listen at PressboxOnline.com slash radio. It's all brought to you by Wise Markets and Glory Days Grill. Join us for the Pressbox Fantasy Football Show every Thursday morning at 11.30 a.m. Baltimore's favorite bar is just 771 feet from home plate. Sliders Bar and Grill, just steps from Camden Yards, is the perfect sports bar for Ravens and Caps season. With all of the games on dozens of TVs, daily specials include Mexican Monday, Wingding Wednesday, Bloody Brunch Sunday, and more, with different drink specials every day of the week. Join Sliders for the Ravens game on November 10th and be there for the annual Sliders Chili Cook-Off. Think your chili is the best? You can register for $10 and enter to win the title. Sliders, for all of your sports and a chance to sample Baltimore's best chili recipes, go to slidersbaltimore.com. The latest edition of Press Box is available now, and it's our annual college basketball preview issue on the cover. Brooks DeBose looks at the Mount St. Joe duo of Jalen Sticksmith and Daryl Morcell. As two kids from Baltimore look to lead Maryland back to prominence this season, you'll also find full previews for men's and women's hoops in the area, including Towson, UMBC Loyal, Morgan Coppin and more. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer here from Glenn Clark Radio. Kyle, you know, I'm regularly asked by folks about how we get so many great guests on our show. Well, I I work really hard to get some of the biggest names on with us. I know you do, and the world recognizes it, but I want to challenge you to try to get some even bigger guests on the show moving forward. Okay, who do you have in mind? Well, nothing crazy. Like, what about Tim Tebow? How about Leonardo DiCaprio or or Lady Gaga, maybe Barack Obama? Uh, You know what? I'll settle for Wilt Chamberlain. Well, I think he died. What? Yeah, like 20 years ago. So that's a maybe? Maybe Java Chamberlain. Glenn Clark Radio, Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to noon at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio and Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. No one wants to talk to Java Chamberlain. 
Right, we are back on the bat around, broadcasting from the live casino hotel studios. Reminder again, Glenn Clark tomorrow at a halftime of the Ravens Bengals game. That should be approximately two fifteen to two twenty, somewhere in there. And then right after the game, the whistle blows and the game's over. Or in the case of Craig Heist, the two or three minutes before the game, right? Over, exactly, uh, Craig. I, mean, I, mean, I think the problem with that, or not the problem, but the the idea that Glenn was so geeked up after that yeah, Patriots. I bet he was geeked. Thirty-seven up. to twenty. Yeah. Well, he'll be geeked up tomorrow because he's working with the NFL chick, ah. Hubbard, <laughs> who pronounced it early in the season that she was only going to be in the big games. Uh huh. And I guess the Bengal well, game you know, is a big. When, when you're when you're the NFL chick, you yeah. can just. You can pick and choose the games you want. She is the one and only NFL chick. There you go. Yeah, no question about it. Anyway, they'll be on right after the game, and then Glenn and Kyle will be in all week long with another uh, group of shows uh, during the week. Also, the Press Box High School show is Monday at 1230, uh, and uh, that is all for right now. All right? Uh, Mark Zuckerman is going to join us in about two minutes, two or three minutes. Um, your thoughts on uh, the Nats, and this this is the area we'll talk to Mark about, mm-hmm. but uh, your thoughts on what what their chances are coming in next year intact with Steven Strasburg and Anthony Rendon. Well, I'm not so sure about Rendon, but I certainly think Steven Strasburg will re-up with the Nationals. <clears throat> Pardon me. They have some other issues that they'll have to address, too. Uh, you know, going forward, and we'll see how it all shakes out. I, I think this roster will be uh, slightly different than it was this year. Yeah. Uh, but but in terms of Rendon, you're probably looking more along the lines of, you know, six or seven years for about thirty million, thirty-two yep. million. Yep. Uh, it's interesting. I've heard some rumblings too that he may take. More money and less years, you know, that could be. Because, you know, Anthony gives you that that feeling as though baseball's not the most important thing in his life and there are other priorities, which is, you know, God bless Anthony for that. Yeah. Very, very few athletes, you know, have that kind of uh, mentality. Why don't you introduce our guest? Well, he's on he's, the line with Well, us. I consider him a good friend and uh, – he is the fine beat writer for the Washington Nationals for MassAndSports.com, and that's Mark Zuckerman. Mark, good morning. How are you? Hi, Craig. How's everybody doing? Good. Today? Have you recovered yet? <laughs> now, I, yeah. I, only, I, I didn't do the road games. I did the three at home uh, for the World Series, but I can tell you, I didn't get home until 3 or 4 o'clock each morning. So uh, I just wanted to know, with all the travel, how'd you make out? <laughs> uh, I just finally, probably in the last 24 hours, I yeah. feel like I've recovered because it's the travel, it's the late nights, it's then everything that came, you know, after the fact uh, for those first, what, three, four days after they clinched it. There's a whole lot of other stuff going on to attend and to write about. Um, you know, I always said I wanted to do this at least once to cover a team that, that went to and then won the World Series. So now that I've done it, I wouldn't mind taking a break for a while. I don't need to do it, right <laughs> well, I do it again right away. It's funny. You and I, you and I both covered the Orioles and you for a short period of time uh, and me a lot longer. But, you know, I, there's been some great years there in Baltimore. Uh, there's been very, certainly successful years in Washington up until this year, and and this one being the pinnacle. But 
you know, I it's the first time in almost 30 years of covering the game, Mark, that I got to cover a World Series, so I can check that off my bucket list. Yeah, it, it was. I mean, it was a pretty, pretty cool thing to get to be a part of. Yes, uh, and I think also for me, at least, um, what, what was particularly exciting was to kind of see how the rest of the baseball world started to find out about and ultimately really learn about and fall in love with this team and this group of players that we have been seeing all along. And it sort of felt like we were in this little club that we already knew about all this stuff. Right. And then over the course of October, everyone else kind of figured out, oh, wow, Juan Soto, wow, he, he's really good and he's really interesting. And Anthony Rendon, what a player he is. And man, Strasburg, look at, look at, look at what he's become in his career. Uh, and so I think it was, it was kind of, for me, kind of rewarding to see how the rest of the world caught on to what we've already known for a while now and to see everyone rewarded for that that was a cool experience you know i always muff up this expression what the sum is greater than the you know the parts. than the parts i always felt that this team had that character in them and they reminded me a great deal of the 83 baltimore orioles craig and mark that that sort of had been at or near the best team for four years but for some reason, they couldn't quite make it, and then all of a sudden, it came together. And ironically enough, Stan, that was a team that, you know, and, and certainly different parallels, but, you know, this 19-31 and 31 start that we talk about for the Nationals, keep in mind, the Orioles that year in winning the World Series, they had two seven-game losing, losing streaks yeah, that year. Yeah, that. yeah. So. Uh, Mark, uh, Craig and I were talking just uh, before we called you up about the chances of keeping two of the key players in this run, uh, Anthony Rendon and Steven Strasburg. Could you care to, ca- you know, sort of handicap uh, sort of uh, what you think's going on with both of them? Yeah, I- I've felt all along, like, even though Strasburg was likely to, to opt out, there was still a, you know, very, very good chance that he would ultimately stay, that they would work out a deal, uh, add a few years to what he, uh, you know, had on his previous contract, a few more dollars. Um, you know, I, I don't think this is a guy who is just looking to go cash in and move somewhere else at this point in his career. He's very comfortable here. This is the only place he's ever been. He moved his whole family here last winter. He spent the offseason here. Uh, and just the way he talked about this team and the organization of the city over the, the last month or so, it just led me to believe that, this is a guy who wants to stay. Now, that said, he wants to be paid accordingly, and he could not, just like Rendon, he could not have timed this any better uh, of coming through on the big stage at the very top moment uh, when he now has the opportunity to become a free agent. And so I don't begrudge him that at all. I, I feel like it is ultimately going to come together, but um, the longer it drags out, the less likely I would say that that is, and the Nationals are going to have to come through with an offer that he and Scott Boris, uh, you know, believe is is worthy of of his talent and his abilities. Uh, in Rendon's case, I've always looked at it this way: I think there has been a better chance of him staying than there was with Bryce Harper a year ago. Mm-hmm. Now that said, I would still, if you have to give the odds on it, I'd still say it's less than fifty percent um, because, again. Here's a guy who has just maximized his ability now to cash in by having a great season on the big stage right as he becomes a free agent. And there are only so many of those guys out there. And so you know there are going to be teams involved, and I'm guessing there's going to be some big-name teams involved here before it's all said and done. 
Now, like Strasburg, I think Anthony is very comfortable here. I don't think he necessarily is someone who seeks the biggest deal. He certainly isn't somebody that seeks all the attention uh, that's going to come with signing a huge contract for a big market club. So I think that plays in Nationals' favor. But again, he wants to be paid uh, fairly, and what he believes he uh, has earned and what he's earned is to be paid like one of the very best players in the league because that's what he is. Absolutely. So, likewise, I think it does potentially drag out for a while, and if that's the case, the longer it goes, the harder it is to keep him. But um, there's certainly motivation on both sides' part to get that done that doesn't necessarily mean that it will get done. Well, he's a different kind of guy, Mark, uh, and, and, you know, everybody talks about, well, you know, you know like you said, Harper left, you know, why wouldn't, why wouldn't Rendon leave? And like you said, he's comfortable here. And I even, I even hearken back to something you had written was the fact that maybe there's, there's less years for more money per year in a deal maybe with the Nationals. Yeah, I think that's possible. Um, you know, he, I think he's going to be 30. Uh, and so you're talking about, well, is he going to sign an eight-year deal and do the Nationals want to commit that to him? And I don't know if that's what matters to him as much. I think, obviously, he wants to be compensated. Um, but I, he's not a guy that I've ever thought of as, oh, he's going to play until he's 40. He's going to play until he just physically can't anymore. He's the kind of guy I could see having a great career and then just deciding, you know what? I've had enough, I'm going to move on to other things in my life. And so maybe the best way to get him is to offer a big number in terms of uh, his annual salary, but not necessarily commit the long term uh, in terms of years. And and frankly, I think the Nationals are more agreeable to that anyway. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah. One of the, the fears that they, uh, you know, with all these guys that they now have to deal with, is you've got a bunch of big-name guys who are into their 30s, and if you're committing to them, into their age 36, 37, 38 seasons, um, those can become albatrosses of contracts. I mean, they've, they've, the Scherzer has worked out great, but if they keep Strasburg for another six or seven years, he's well up there in age. Uh, Rendon could be approaching that. I think there was some fear about locking up Harper for that long. And the goal here is to try to have a competitive winning team every single season and you don't want to fall in love too much with these guys, and now you're stuck with aging veterans making a ton of money. So I think if you're the Nationals, you're more than willing to say, hey, we'll give you some more dollars in exchange for fewer years. So maybe that is an avenue, ultimately, um, that could allow them to get something done. It's one of the things I heard after the Nats won the World Series was, you know, a couple of columnists, and and I, I saw it written, and I also heard it talked about on TV by some of the analysts is the fact that, you know, the Nats can't be that uh, team that, oh, woe is me, we've never gotten past the first round of the playoff. No more excuses. So, you know, going forward, Mike Rizzo is faced with the same challenges now that he did when, when, when they let Dusty Baker go, and that's putting together a roster that will allow them to compete again for a title. And, and the, the tricky part of this is, as tempting as it is to say, hey, we had a great thing going this year, such a great clubhouse, all these big contributors, let's keep the band together and let's go for it again. You have to be careful not to make those decisions with your heart. You have to do them with your head. Mm-hmm. And, and I look back at the Philadelphia Phillies after they won the championship a decade ago, and then made it to the World Series the year after. They locked up all of those guys for a lot of years. Ryan Howard, Jimmy Rollins, Chase Utley, Carlos Ruiz, Cole Hamels. That team, by 2012, had a losing record. They have yeah. not had a winning record since, and they were saddled by those contracts 
really up until just a, a year yeah. or two ago when That's they finally a, cleared them off the books. Great, so great it is point, a dangerous Mark. thing. Yeah. It's it's a it's a tricky thing. You have to make sure you're picking the right guys. You can't keep everyone. You can't fall in love with guys based on what they did this last year and just assume that's all going to happen again. Look, everybody loves Howie Kendrick, and he was critical to them winning this World Series. He's also going to be 36 years old as a guy who isn't great in the field, who dealt with some in injuries the last couple of years. As important as he is, do you say, hey, we're going to bring him back no matter what, or do you say, that's probably never going to happen again, what we got from him this year. And as hard as it is to say goodbye, you have to let him go and be a DH somewhere and try to fill that spot else that, from somewhere else. That's these true. Are the, these are the really tricky decisions that they have to make, and there's no right answer to it, um, but I do think they have to be careful not to just fall in love with the guys that won them the championship. That's true, but in Howie's case, I think with the way they use him, you know, and... and yeah, and with the fit with Zimmerman with there. With the fit with Zimmerman, right? And we know, second, we know they didn't, we didn't, they didn't pick up Matt Adams, so... Uh, again, there's going to be chances for Howie there, and with him and Zimmerman, maybe that's a pretty good platoon, even though they're both right-handed hitters. Yeah, it, it could work out wonderfully again, but again, in all these guys' cases, they only have so much baseball left in them, and one yeah. of these years, it's yeah. not going to be there anymore, and you just want to be careful not to saddle yourself um, with with contracts on guys who, um, as great as they've been, as important as they were, you don't know if they're going to be able to do that again. And so it, they, they need to find the balance between the, the keeping the, the key players who do make a difference and help you win and making sure you're supplementing that with younger guys who are now going to be the next uh, generation to try to win another title around here. Mark, i got a question for you, maybe a column idea for you, and it's probably a little early, but maybe right around after the first of the year. Do you, do you think the red side, and I'm not, scoffing at it or laughing at it but i thought the red sox situation last year uh how they they chose to get their starters prepared for the season after winning the world series and going as late as they did they sort of said well our our pitchers pitched a month more we're going to go very easy on them at the beginning of the year. And if you talk about what really cost the Red Sox a chance to play in the postseason, that start that their starters got off to was just horrendous beyond belief. And I'll piggyback on that, Mark, real quick and say, remember, and he's not a pitcher, but remember what Ryan Zimmerman did last year or the year before that was right. the fact didn't, that he didn't, didn't play, play yeah. in very many spring training games at all, did all the work on the backfield, and really didn't help him at all, that's for sure. But your, th- your thoughts on that, especially that pitching issue where those guys, granted they did pitch another 30 stressful innings, but is it really worth not preparing them the same way? I don't know. It is a huge storyline going into next year, I believe, um, as much as, in particular, Scherzer, Strasburg, Corbin, with all the relief appearances, uh, Doolittle, and then if Hudson comes back. As much as they lean on those guys, as much extra work as they did, what is the, uh, the domino effect of all that going into next year? And I think, again, you have to find the right balance. I don't think the, the answer is to say, oh, well, just, you know, everybody show up for spring training. Don't throw until then, and we'll ease you back in and, and you know, use you less. 
um, I don't think that's the answer, but I also think they have to be careful not to say, hey, just treat it like any other yeah, off-season and start throwing early. So, to me, Max, Max is the most interesting one because he's a big believer in keep throwing, and he thinks that's what's kept him going all these years. And I think there's certainly something to it. I also know, though, that he dealt with injuries this year that he has never dealt with before, mm-hmm. and we still don't really know what was going on between Games 5 and Game 7 with him. Uh, he pitched through it. Obviously, he pitched great and helped them win the World Series, but there could be lasting effects of what he did to himself there, and so that's why they've got to come up with a good plan, whatever that plan is, and uh, find that balance between giving them their bodies time off that they need while also not just sacrificing the beginning of the season and saying that uh, ultimately, as pitchers, you do still need to continue to work and, and find whatever that balance is to make sure uh, that they can still be effective for them next year without uh, risking injury. That's an excellent point on Max because, you know, for as well as he knows his body and always has throughout his career, this injury that cropped up around the All-Star break and then later on, I don't think he figured out, you know, exactly what was going on with it. No, I think this was all new to him. It was a, a challenge for him really the second half of the year just to make sure he was able to pitch every fifth day. The way that the next thing came about at the very end was kind of out of the blue. Um, you know, he insisted before and after Game 7 that he felt great, but we don't know how he felt three, four days a week later after all that, how he's going to feel when he decides to start throwing again. And so, uh, look, I love the guy. He has um, more than lived up to his contract and has shown that in this day and age you can still be a, a true workhorse starting pitcher well into your 30s. But he is well into his 30s. He's going to be 36 next year. There's a lot of mileage on that arm and on that body now, and he's got two years left in the contract. You want to believe he can continue to be elite Max Scherzer all the way through the end of it. One of these days, though, it's not going to happen. Uh, and, and you just hope that what he put his body through this year, for a good cause, obviously, yeah. to win a World Series, you just hope that that didn't cause any lasting damage that's going to make him not be that same pitcher again uh, over the rest of his career. Now, they've got Sanchez signed for one more year, correct? Yes, correct. Okay. That was a two-year deal. Of the other guys, both Fetty and Joe Ross, I think one of the things that will help, help the situation we were just talking about is if they can get something really significant, 120 to 135 innings out of a fifth starter, did one of those guys stand out to you? I feel like by the end of the season, Joe Ross had sort of separated himself. Once they finally decided, hey, you're a starter, not a reliever, yep. uh, he went on his five-day program. I know he barely pitched in the playoffs until that surprise World Series start, um, but I, I felt like he had found something there yep. and a renewed confidence as well uh, to suggest that he could be the guy. Now, Austin Voth was, was kind of surprised out of nowhere, a much better arm than anybody realized. I think he is going to be a part of this as well. Um, the good news, if you want to look at that with him, is that he still has minor league options. So they could afford to have him start the year at AAA, be their sixth starter, and then call him up at some point, as opposed to Joe Ross and I believe Eric Fetty both are now going to be out of options. Mm-hmm. And so that could complicate matters. Um, Fetty has shown you know glimpses of it here and there, maybe not as consistently. But, it, yeah, if it's me going into spring training, I'm saying Joe Ross has got the leg up yep. for that spot, and then you know that both could also figure in at some point. 
Um, but I agree, it, those guys are going to have to help carry the load. Uh, they can't just be a revolving door fifth starter. Somebody needs to step up, and, and they need whoever that other person is to be ready um, if and when one of the big four uh, needs a break at some point. We're talking with Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com, covers the Nationals. He is the beat writer. And uh, one other thing about the pitching end of it, uh, it was interesting to see Dave Martinez work this bullpen down through the playoffs, but the bottom line is to get through a whole season, they can't have the same kind of bullpen issues la- next year that they had this year. What do you think Mike Rizzo does in the off season to kind of bolster that bullpen? Well, the good news is I, I think they're going to start with a better base to begin with. You know you have Sean Doolittle back. Yeah. Tanner Rainey stepped up big time, and I think they're going to be looking at him as, as a key late-inning reliever in a setup role going into the season. Wander Suero, uh, for all his inconsistencies, made 78 appearances. He'll be back. And two of the guys they traded for, I know it didn't work out well, but they have them under control, and that's Rowanis Elias and Hunter Strickland. Right. And so they're going to have to be part of the mix. Now, what they're going to need, number one, are you bringing back Daniel Hudson? And again, a 32-year-old who had that kind of workload, and a guy who, as great as he was, didn't really have a year-to-year track record um, to say, hey, he's, he's a lock, he's a sure thing. So that's a tough decision for them. And if not him, then they're going to have to look at some other, uh, you know, truly reliable late-inning arms. This was the big problem last year. They went and signed uh, Trevor Rosenthal, first move of the offseason, that backfired. They traded for Kyle Bearclaw, that backfired. Uh, they signed Tony Sipp in spring training, that backfired. So they're not going to spend a ton of money, I don't think. But whoever it is they bring in, they've got to find as close to a sure thing as you can find to help supplement them. And then I think we've seen the pattern of of how Mike Rizzo uh, approaches this as uh, agonizing as it can be at times. He's going to build what he believes is a decent bullpen to start the year, but then he's going to see how it plays out and come July if there are moves that need to be made. That's when he goes and makes them, and he goes and finds the guys like Daniel Hudson or in previous years, Sean Doolittle, Ryan Madsen, Mark Melanson, um, guys who are having good years who can then help you down the stretch. I feel like he still believes that's the best way to go, that you don't want to lock yourself up um, with high-priced relievers who don't pan out. And so you piece it together at the beginning and then hope you can make moves along the way that help you finish the deal. Last question for you, Mark, and we really do appreciate your time. Is one player who kind of breathed life back into his Nationals career and his Major League career was Michael A. Taylor. With economics the way they are, and like we, you and I are on the same page with Howie Kendrick, you know, about whether he's back or not, did Michael A. Taylor give himself a new lease on life for the Nationals or just enhance his trade value for Mike Rizzo uh, during the offseason? Yeah, look, I feel like every winter we talk about um, what should they do with Taylor. Should he yep. be back? Is he, is he poised for another big year? Or should they see what they could get for him because he does have value? Uh, they've stuck with him through all this time. Obviously, they have their starting outfield if everybody's healthy, Soto, Robles, and Eaton because they picked up his option. The tricky thing with Taylor now is he's going to be out of options, I believe, next okay. year. And so he's either got to make the team as a fourth outfielder, uh, or if he's not good enough to make the team, then they're going to have to find a way to move him and get something in return for him. So I think that's another tricky call. Yes, he stepped up big in the postseason. Um, he's very well liked in the organization. 
he does bring a lot of skills to the table, but I think it's clear, especially as you saw, as Robles struggled uh, in the postseason in the World Series, they stuck with him. They do believe that Robles is the long-term answer for them. And so if that's the case, I think I would see uh, what, what you could, could, get. You could yeah. get for Taylor this winter because maybe that helps you supplement some of those other positions that you now need to fill. Um, I love the guy. He, he came up big for them in some big spots. But if it's clear that he's not one of your, your starting three, are you going to spend that money to keep him as your fourth outfielder? Uh, or would you say maybe we can use that to try to address another need that we have? So I think that's a, another one of the big questions they face this winter. Our final moment or two with Mark Zuckerman, and i I got to ask you this before we get out of here because you and I have seen this guy from the inception, and this year, to me, uh, the way it wound up, you could not feel any better for a guy like Ryan Zimmerman, who has seen everything with this organization, and to have this year end like it did was just icing on the cake. It was, and, and he, he worked really hard to make sure that he was on the field for that. Yes. Um, and, and really changed the narrative of this season and the last couple of seasons because he had dealt with all kinds of stuff. He was really known more for not playing than for playing but he got himself in a position where he could play in September. And remember, when he came back, he even said it, I'm not going to be an everyday player. That right. was Matt Adams' job. That was Howie Kendrick's job as Rubel Cabrera. And then what happened? He got hot, and all of a sudden he started playing every day, and you remembered that when he is healthy, Ryan Zerman can still be a very productive player at the plate and in the field. How many plays did he make at first base that helped them along the way in October? So... Um, Unlike those other guys, here is one who I do, I'm convinced, does not want to even consider playing anywhere else, is willing to take less money. I mean, they, they turned down the $18 million option, but he knew that was going to happen. I do believe he'll be back on a one-year deal for, I don't know, five, six million, something in that range maybe. But he also acknowledges he's not going to go into it believing that he's a 140-game-a-year player. He has to approach it as a 100-game-a-year player and hope that he's there when they need him the most. But he's got a lot of baseball left in him. He's not walking away. He's not just going to say, hey, I won the World Series. All right, peace out, everybody. I'll see you someday down <laughs> would, the road would, at the reunion. Would he no, do two for 11? He play. Would he do two for 11? I think he's willing to do one for, for something. I, I, and I, he, he said it, I want to say it was before game one of the World Series, um, that he just kind of knows he has to think of this as a year-to-year yeah. thing mm-hmm. right now. Now, sure, if they want to offer him a two-year deal, absolutely. But I don't even think he's going to require that. I think he's willing to go year to year. He is this, you know, the face of this organization. He's not just going to go finish out his career somewhere else. They know how important he is. There's so much goodwill built up there. I don't doubt that they'll find a way to make that work, whatever it is. All right. He is Mark Zuckerman. Does a and I mean this sincerely, not just because you're on the show. You do a fantastic job over there covering the Nationals for Masson.com, all right? Thank Masson you, guys. I appreciate it. All right, we'll, uh, we'll be back uh, with a final word or two on the program. But first, got to tell you, uh, do you want to know about what's going on this season in high school football throughout the state of Maryland? Tune in to Pressbox High School Football Show with Booker Corrigan and legendary former McDonough coach Dom D'Amico. The guys will discuss everything happening at both the private and public school levels every Monday at 12.30 p.m. Watch at facebook.com slash pressboxsports. Listen at pressboxonline.com slash radio. And finally, I want to tell you about my good friend Mark Schwartzman and 
Glen Burnie Transmissions. We want to welcome them back, longtime sponsors and friends. Uh, they're located right in the heart of Glen Burnie. That's Glen, Bur- Glen Burnie Transmissions. They've been around going on 60 years. If you suspect you're having a transmission problem, GBT can save you hundreds of dollars over taking it to the dealers for a repair. Make an appointment, and they'll offer you estimates, a free estimate, and free diagnostic. Call GBT toll-free at 855-728-1841. Their mission is simple, to provide excellent service at a reasonable price. If you have any questions about the level of service, go to their website at gbt-online.com to check out the number of five-star reviews. Let my friend Mark Schwartzman and his GBT team Take the troubles out of transmission troubles. Call them today, toll-free, at 855-728-1841. PressBox's Project Game Day is back, as we'll be with you to react immediately during and after every Baltimore football game this season. Glenn Clark is with you at halftime with various guests joining him the moment the game wraps up, including the NFL chick Sarita Hubbard, PressBox's Ken Zalis, and Eric Arditi from Barstool Sports. Pressbox's Project Game Day is made possible by great partners. Costa Sid, Wise Markets, Glen Burnie Transmissions, Glory Days Grill, and the U.S. Army. Like Pressbox on Facebook at facebook.com slash Sports and watch Project Game Day there every game day this season. Okay, I'm getting an Italian cold cut with oil and vinegar. Turkey and Swiss with extra mayo for me. And I want a ham and cheese with everything. Before we go to the game, we go to Royal Farms. It's not football without a Royal Farms sub. At Royal Farms, it's all fresh. And delicious. In this town, you don't tailgate with a hoagie. You tailgate with a Royal Farms sub and world-famous chicken. Royal Farms. Real fresh. Real fast. Real Baltimore. This is Ross Grimsley with a reminder to all my baseball friends out there that I'm now part of the Press Box podcast team. Catch my take on the O's and whatever's going on in this great game of baseball. We'll also touch base with some of my old friends and teammates. Tune in every Tuesday morning or listen anytime at PressBoxOnline.com slash Ross Grimsley Show. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com slash bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. The latest edition of Press Box is available now, and it's our annual college basketball preview issue on the cover. Brooks DeBose looks at the Mount St. Joe duo of Jalen Sticksmith and Daryl Morsell as two kids from Baltimore look to lead Maryland back to prominence this season. You'll also find full previews for men's and women's hoops in the area, including Towson, UMBC Loyola, Morgan Coppin, and more. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores you can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square offers a better way to tailgate with football and nuggets. You can now pick up a 30-count Chick-fil-A nugget in a football-shaped container, and if it would be helpful, Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square can half-cook it, leaving you the opportunity to heat it the rest of the way just in time for your party. And now Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square offers their three-cheese mac and cheese, cheddar, parmesan, and romano combined in this classic side, baked fresh in the restaurant. Download the Chick-fil-A app, place your order, and pile up 
up Chick-fil-A bonus points, good for free food. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard. Call Steve if you'd like your party catered by Chick-fil-A. 410-931-0031. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square. For the final couple of minutes, uh, Maryland uh, probably has already uh, Down given seven up another. seven. <laughs> might be 14 to nothing. It's seven minutes past. Thanks to Brett Bloom for uh, running things so smoothly today. Thank you, as always. Certainly. And uh, we'll be back here and do it all again next Saturday. Go Golden Gophers. If you've liked the show, please share the show. It's yes. important to us, all right? And don't forget to cost us in. Great crabs. I hear they got a few local ones uh, are floating around a little bit. Could be. Could be. All right. Costas in 410-477-1975. And, again, our thanks always to Live Casino Hotel Studio who make these shows possible. That's going to do it for this week. We'll see you next week. Have a great weekend.